just people. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are His, that we are a family of believers that He brought together. And it's special because He died for us. But what most of us could think about when we think about church, we have very good memories. We can have very bad memories. We can have some of the greatest memories of our life, but we can also have some of the most traumatic, difficult moments of our life. We've all watched people saved, and we've all people seen people hurt. We've all probably been a part of God doing amazing things, but yet we've also watched how we or others can do extremely dumb things. But I want to read this verse to you from 1 Timothy chapter 3 because when we talk about the leadership of a local church, Paul writes in uh, 1 Timothy, uh, the third chapter, uh, starting in verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So he's telling us that there is an order and a structure and a way that God blesses things. Church is not something we just all show up and say, well, I feel or I think or I would like or I want. That was never the New Testament model. Scripture is our foundation. You say, well, Jake, I like this church, or I don't like this church, or I like the way they do it, or I don't like the way we do it. Well, I would just want to say to you that none of that really matters because God is the one who blesses the church. God is the one who gives the increase. God is the one who saves people. God's the one who sends people. And so if we really want to see a move of God in this church, something that, that sees lives change and souls saved, it, it's a God thing. And we need to just be faithful to do it His way. And I want to go to uh, Isaiah chapter 1 because I want to show you uh, a verse of Scripture that, and a passage that really does, uh, should cause us to, to really pay attention. As you know, in the Old Testament, it is different than the church. But they had religious leaders. They had national leaders. Uh, they had military leaders. And sometimes, like in the case of David, your, your king was a very much a part of the worship. Um, but yet, in this passage of Scripture, he writes to the rulers or the leaders. Now, I would just also like to say, while I believe that America is the greatest nation on the earth, we do not have the same special relationship with God that Israel does. So if you say, well, he was writing to the religious leaders of the day, he is not writing to the White House and Congress, and there's a, definitely a place for that, but he is writing to religious leaders. And so tonight I really want you to hear this because he gives them some really strong wording. And I want to just start in chapter 10, or verse 10 of chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of God you people of Gomorrah. And so if you don't believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were real or that God destroyed them for why He did, Isaiah says, hey, the Lord is telling you, remember those two towns and what happened to them and why they were burned up? You're like them. I don't know about you, but that's not a real great way I would want someone 
to start saying me. It's kind of like you don't hear a lot of parents naming their daughter Jezebel. Right? You listen now. You might have called someone Jezebel before, but most parents don't look at this wonderful, beautiful, special child and say, I'd love to name my child after Jezebel in the Old Testament. But that's what he does here. He says, Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of the assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And don't miss this. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. You see, friends, we can get into a place where we can go through the religious exercises. We can have church. We can, we can meet on Sundays and Wednesdays and sing and do all these things and God says, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to hear from it. I don't want to see it. And I am not listening. You say, well, Jake, this was to the nation of Israel, to the religious leaders of the day. Yes, but I believe the same is still true. When the church of Jesus Christ, and especially those who God has appointed to be under shepherds, to care for the flock, live in a way like the Old Testament leaders did. And so he doesn't say to all the people, he says, you rulers of Sodom. And so tonight you ought to know something, that the church that you are a part of matters. The people who try to lead the church. You say the Holy Spirit leads the church. You're absolutely right. The Scripture leads the church. Absolutely right. But yet God calls people to teach. God calls people to serve. God calls people to lead by example, not with an iron fist. And so I don't know about you, but I want my family to be in a church where God is working. God is moving. Lives are being changed. I do not want this to be said that even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Now, we know that God knows everything, that God knows the prayers of, uh, of everybody. What He's saying is, I am not responding. I am not listening. You are not going to be able to approach me because of the sin in your life. Now you say, Jake, that's a pretty bold thing to say about a God who loves and cares and is merciful. You are right. But at some point, God says enough is enough. And in Israel's case, he had said enough. In Judah's case, he had said enough. And so I just really want to start out with that tonight because as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're talking about the leadership of a local church. And you say, well, Jake, that's a pretty dangerous thing since you fall into that category. Look up here. That's the way it's supposed to be. Evaluation is hard. Accountability is hard. 
But if we want to see God do the things that He wants to do here, we have to be faithful. We have to be willing to have hard conversations, look at difficult things, and trust that God can bless it. And so we see here two groups of people. We see the office of bishop or pastors, and we see the office of deacons, men uh, who have been called to serve the Lord. We see in here deacons, wives, and we'll talk about the whole women deacon, men deacon when we get there, all right? And tonight you say, well, Jake, how does this apply to me? One, God might be calling you to serve him someday. And you need to know, you've heard the saying, God qualifies the calls and calls to qualify and all that. I don't believe in cheap sayings, all right? I believe that when you serve God, your life should reflect it. And because of that, God will put you in positions to be used. And so it matters to you. It matters to you that you are uh, listening to the preaching of God's word, but making sure the man that is delivering it is living the life that God's word says. And I just want to start by saying this is a very difficult issue because everyone has an opinion. Well, I had a pastor as a child, or my sister goes to a church, or my neighbor. I mean this with the kindest of, I don't care. I want to know what God's word says. I want to know what God says for this church. I'm not worried about fixing the church down the street. I'm not worried about fixing the church uptown. None of those things. We are responsible for this one. This is where God has put us. This is where God has placed us. And this is where I believe we will have to give an account. And so as we go through this, you're welcome to ask questions. I might not have all the answers. I might want to wait and answer them at a different time because we're going to be looking at so many together. Um, But that's where we're at. So if you thought, boy, I thought you were going to do something different, Jake, before wading through this. Absolutely not. And uh, so... Uh, but questions, comments, thoughts, uh, before we just really jump in and find out what God's Word says. Always, always so invigorating with the conversation. First Timothy chapter 3, I say that and this will be an invigorating night probably. And we're just going to take it a verse at a time or a verse or two at a time and just really look at it. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or a pastor or an elder, he desires a good work. What we see here is not only does God call men to be pastors, but He will put it on their heart that they should. I hear it all the time from people saying, well, I just I don't feel like I should be a pastor, but I will because God told me to. That's not what it says here. It says that God will put a desire in your heart to love the church, to love the people of God. I said this a couple Sundays ago, or maybe even last Sunday, and I got in some trouble after I said it. I said, I see you on your best behavior, and I even have a hard time liking some of you. And you get to see me on my best behavior, and some of you have a hard time liking me. Well, I hope you know that I was joking, but apparently some people didn't think I was joking. And so I just want to apologize with that. But I do believe that God will give you a desire to be in a church to be a part of a church, to serve a church, to love a church, whether it is God calling me to do what I am doing, but also for you to be where God wants you. You see, with each and every one of us having the Holy Spirit in us, God has a purpose and a place for us. God has a place where He wants us to serve, where we're going to find joy, where we're going to find peace, 
And if we're not there, we are going to miss what God has for us. Because it says there, these list of qualifications, many of them are very self-explanatory. A bishop or a pastor, you can write notes, you can start taking notes about, well, Jake, you failed here, or you failed there. I'm okay with that. A bishop must be then blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well, how will he take care of the church of God? I just want to stop there because, as I shared with you last week, that when we look at this text, we can clearly see that he is talking about a male. And you say, well, Jake, I don't, I don't, I don't, that sounds very sexist. It sounds very restrictive. I didn't put it in here, okay? But what we see in this text five times is a reference to a male gender. You say, gender doesn't matter anymore. I would beg to differ with you. It even gets so specific there in verse um, uh, 3, or verse 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. He's talking about the order of the family. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So I want to just break this down into a couple categories but a pastor, the person who is shepherding the flock as the under-shepherd of Jesus, ought to be a man whose home is in order. Now, that doesn't mean that his family is perfect, right? We've grown up in church a long time, and right, the pastor's kids and the deacon's kids, and we laugh about that. But I want you to know that that should break our hearts. Because when the pastor's kids and the deacon's kids are the most wicked in the church, those men should not be doing what they're doing. You say, oh, Jake, that's not very fair. I didn't write it. I didn't put it in here. But that's what God said. He even said so much that if I do not know how to be the father and the husband in my own home, then I cannot take care of you as your under-shepherd. Now, I told you this last Sunday that my wife and I have had probably one of the most difficult years in our marriage. Someone said, well, Jake, you shouldn't share things like that. I didn't say I wanted to murder her. Didn't say I wanted to leave her. I'm just saying that it was a challenge sometimes for us to get along over little things, difficult things. You say, well, Jake, how is that ruling your own house? Well, well, we're still making a go at it. We're still loving each other. We're still apologizing to each other. We're still trying to figure this thing out just like everyone else. But friends, I want you to know that I visit with enough people, meet with enough people that they live in the same home. But there's not a marriage. They live in the same home and they're roommates. They live in the same home and they've got the same last name. But there is no love, no dedication. I used to say this and it got me in some trouble. And I'm going to say it again because it's been a few years. That's my Bahama mama, all right? I love her, thankful for her, glad God gave her to her. Best looking woman I know. And if you disagree with me, you can be wrong all you want. It doesn't bother me at all. But why? Same thing about my children. Am I going to have perfect children? No. But a pastor's children and a deacon's children should be one who are willing to listen to the authority of their parent. Are they going to do things they shouldn't do? Absolutely. Are they going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But do they recognize 
that God has given you to them to love them and to care for them and to watch out for them. Because if my life and my marriage is a mess at home, how can I be an example to you? How can I sit across and counsel you about marriage and raising your children if I cannot do it myself? Some people get really hung up on this, but what it really is just saying is live the life that you claim to live. Live the same way at home as you do at church. Set an example to the people who are watching you. And that is what God wants. Thoughts, questions. Um, yeah, I think you can even tie it back to Romans 1 where it talks about those who have no longer uh, are not only practicing wickedness, but they're they're saying that it's okay. And I think that happens a lot in marriage. Uh, I think it happens a lot in raising our children that, well, I know it's wrong, but it's not worth the fight. Is it a hill worth dying on? And at some point as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is what I think is wrong. This is what I think is right. You know, for years you would say, well, uh, we want a good pastor's wife. She's going to wear a dress and play the piano. Uh, my wife doesn't wear dresses or play the piano. So, but that's not technically a biblical qualification, right? Um, and so I just really want you to hear this tonight because what we need to see is if God is going to use us, we need to know that it starts at home. God has no desire to put you up on a pedestal and then to watch you come tumbling down because things at home are not the way they're supposed to. How many times have you seen there's a pastor this last week, a pastor in one of the largest Baptist churches in the country that is having to step away for a season because he was sending inappropriate texts to another woman. They weren't sexual, uh, but they were uh, inappropriate. I don't know what that means. I didn't read them, don't want to read them, but he is stepping away for a season. Why? Because there was something in his life and in his marriage that wasn't the way that it should be. And I commend that church for you. But you know what Yahoo did? Top article. CNN, front page. MSNBC, don't know, don't read that junk. Um, <laughs> Fox News, it was on there. Why? Because Satan loves, loves to point every fault that the church has and broadcast it to the world and show, look at these hypocrites. Look at these people who, who claim one thing and live another. And so tonight I just really want to encourage you, even if you say, well, Jake, I'm glad I'm not the pastor. I'm glad I'm, I'm not a deacon. I'm glad I'm not a Sunday school teacher. You should want to be an example for your children. You should want to have your home in order. You should want God's blessing on your marriage. You should want God's blessing on your children. And um, I, my predecessor, Brother John, used to say this all the time. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Now, this is going to be very offensive, and I'm sorry, but not sorry. That applies at church. If anything is trying to be the head of the church other than Jesus Christ, it's a monster. If you are at home and you have more than one person trying to be the head of your household, it's a monster. If you have your children trying to rule you and your wife, or you and your husband as a couple, it is a monster. Same thing at work. You've already seen probably where you work. You've probably made this statement. Too many chiefs, not enough 
Now, I know that's probably not culturally appropriate in the day that we live in, but it is the truth. And you say, well, Jake, what's the big deal? I want you to hear this tonight. Rebellion is always a big deal because it goes back to the garden. It goes back to Satan's very first sin against God, that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be the center of attention when who sits upon the throne? God does. And so our desire for rebellion, our desire for stubbornness, is always based in that desire for sin. Thoughts, questions. I, like I said, I'm just jumping right in tonight. So, Well, I would even say that I would say most marriages are not based on Scripture at all. There's no Scripture reading. There's no discussing Scripture. There's no... It's two people on their own journey, but yet we see the Scriptures teaches us, right? That, that we're to be together, right? We're to have family Bible studies. We're to have... Uh, family Bible studies with our children so we can ask these hard questions. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. We're busy. We're, we're running in different directions. But if you and I don't talk about Scripture with our family, uh, the world is not going to. And so I agree with you. I think that we have to really know what Scripture says, right? Don't argue about where you're going to eat because you know that if you ask your wife, she's going to say, wherever. And when you pull into McDonald's, she's going to say, but I don't want McDonald's. It's not an issue worth fighting over. But when you start talking about things like spending money or where you're going to go to church or how you're going to raise your kids, those things that the Bible speaks on, I think God's people do need to get serious. What does the Scriptures say? It's not what Jake wants. It's not what Tony wants. It's definitely not what our six kids wants. What does God's Word say for our family? And I think if we can get back to that, then God can really bless our homes, our marriages, we can see different things going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my favorite is, oh, I saw a Bible teacher on Facebook say this. I'm like, oh. That's almost as bad as you telling me you've been binge-watching Netflix. I don't, I don't want to hear that, all right? Quit wasting your life. Get in the Scriptures. And, uh, but we see that. But I want to show you here these verses in verses 2 and 3. Uh, really very uh, straightforward. There is some disagreement on some of these, but it's really about self-control. Uh, self-control in marriage. It's self-control in your witness. Uh, it's uh, self-control in your lifestyle. Uh, all of these things here, talking about this, um, just because your testimony is so important. Right? You can teach a good lesson. You can... Uh, preach a good sermon, you can sing a good song, but if your life is not honoring the Lord, uh, we will see that it will bring um, uh, a shaky foundation. Uh, how many of you love to get advice from someone about being healthy, from someone who is extremely overweight? Uh-oh, it's a little sun. How many of you want to get financial advice from someone who's on their seventh bankruptcy? How many want to get marriage advice who's someone on their ninth marriage? Right? It just doesn't make sense. And it's the same way in spiritual things. God wants us to live a life of an example. And so I just really want to just kind of stop right there and see if there's any questions, thoughts. Um, it's like I said, it's very straightforward in almost all of these. All right. 
verses six through seven. And this is where it's going to get kind of uh, going to get me in some more trouble, but we might as well just jump right in. It says, not a novice, novice, however you pronounce it, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among all those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Um, I, uh, I know it's great when someone gets saved, they get on fire for God, man, they got a testimony. And the first thing you see is, I think they need to be preaching. We throw them in a pulpit, we throw them in a church, and I have never yet seen it go well. Uh, when I started preaching, Brother John told me, he said, Jake, every time you go to a church that doesn't have a pastor, they will try to get you to be their pastor. Every single one of them. And I was like, no, I've heard my preaching, not an issue, right? I'll be a one and done. And um, I went to a little church to fill in, and I'm going to share this story. And I preached the first time there, and they said, would you be our pastor? I said, no, I can't, but I would, I'll be here for six weeks. I'll preach every Sunday for six weeks. We went from about six people to 33 people on the last Sunday. Naturally, deacons got together and said, can we talk to you? And I'm thinking, super, right? This is awesome. This is going to be wonderful. I love conversations like this. And um, they sat down and said, we really feel like you should be our pastor. Look at how God is working. Look at how God is moving. Look at how God is doing all these things. And I said, I just don't feel like that's what the Lord wants. And one of those individuals said, well, we know that, but would you take it anyway? And you know me, I just jumped right in and I've been the Pastor Tim all ever since. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's a joke. That is a joke. We were never at four people. But that did happen. Uh, and I sat there and I thought, holy cow. I don't feel called. I don't think God wants to. But because the results were there, it had to be what God wanted. And friends, that's not always the case. There can be seasons of difficulty there can be seasons of subtraction. There can be seasons of correction and God be in it. But when you look at a church, when you interview with a church, which I've only interviewed for one, this one, all right? But I am a reference for a lot of pastors. And uh, the, the committees will always say, well, how has the church grown over their time there? Spiritually, numerically, financially, what do you want? And the response is always, how many people? And I always say, well, I don't know. I don't know their attendance, but I can tell you he's preached the word. I can tell you he's prayed. I can tell you he's visited the sick. I can tell you he's tried to lead by example. His home is in order. Well, but what has the church done size-wise? But that actually has no indication of spiritual growth. And so tonight I just really want to encourage you to view things in a spiritual sense. It always always fit into X's and O's. Just because, and I know I'm going to say this and you're thinking, Jake, but our attendance is up, our giving is up, all of those things. That doesn't mean that God's blessing. I believe it is an indicator that He is in our case. But you know what? You can raise money for sick dogs. Just turn on your television. You can accumulate people for a train wreck. But if God's in it, God's doing things that you can't always see. I can just take so many examples about how God has saved someone. How God has rescued marriages that were going to 
we're going to pull apart. How, how God has, has healed people, has God has worked in people's lives, has those things are what you look for. Because those are God things. Those are signs of God's blessing and God's working and God's moving. And that's what we should be looking at. Now, I understand paying the bills is important. And I'd much rather preach to 500 people than 50 people, all right? Um, sometimes you can be as quiet as 50 people while I preach, but that's a conversation for a whole other day. I'm glad that Sunday school classes are full and that we're having to build. I'm glad that tonight we had to put out more tables. I'm glad that there's tons and tons of kids out there and I'm not working with them, amen? <laughs> and I know I say that a lot, but I really, really mean that. Um, I'm thankful for all of those things. But I'm more thankful for when someone comes up and says, Hey, Pastor, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've really been struggling. But the Lord really spoke to me through the teaching of His Word. And I think God's really doing something in my life. Or that person comes up to me and says, Jake, I wish you could see my prayer journal and all of the blue highlights that is a sign that God has answered those prayers. Or, Jake, I'm, I'm, I, came, I came to church and I didn't know if I could ever be a part of a church again, but yet I, I feel like this is home. You see, those are the things that we should be looking for. And when we see here, not a novice left being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Uh, when I first started coming here, uh, I didn't want to be here. And most of you know this story. Monica knows this story. And, uh, uh, and I would literally, when altar call would get almost over, I would just go ahead and sneak out because I didn't want to shake Brother John's hand. And uh, we sit about the second or third from the row from the back. We sit right behind the Donaldsons, actually. I uh, didn't smile. didn't want to be here. Uh, my wife wanted to come here. And, um, uh, and so the first time John ever got to talk to me, he said, hey, I heard you preached a couple times. Uh, I can't let you preach yet, but I'd love to get to know you, know what you believe, and uh, go from there. And I thought that was really important because then he began to spend time with me and to teach me about what it meant to be a pastor, what it meant to preach, what it meant to shepherd a congregation. Uh, and we would meet every week, and we would have these times of discipleship. Uh, eventually, I did get to preach, and, uh, um, and the rest is history. And, uh, but it was a wonderful thing, because that's not how it's done. You're called, you're pre you, you can preach, you're saved, get in there and get the work done. And most of the time, it ends in heartbreak for churches, for pastors. This doesn't just mean that it's a young person. You can be this in your faith and be an older person. Recently saved, recently brought out of the gutter. Um, those are awesome testimonies to what God can do. But just because God has changed someone doesn't mean we ought to throw them to the wolves. You say, Jake, are you calling Baptist wolves? Some of them. There are wolves in sheep clothing. There are ministers that are wolves in sheep clothing. And so we have to be very careful. Dave. The, uh, you know, the words that we're reading here were penned by Paul. Mm -hmm. And after he went to Damascus, I believe it was three years that he mm -hmm. prepared before he went into ministry. So, I mean, even, even in his own life, he followed this, this pattern. Absolutely. Just jump up the next day and we're killing Christians this day and now we're going to try and make it. Yeah. And then the other thing is, too, if you've got a bad pastor, you might end up with a whole herd of goats. Mm -hmm. They've got a vision years, and they're hearing what they want to hear. I didn't call you goats, by the way. Yeah. But, I mean, 
no. that's the truth. If you've got somebody yeah. that is not truly a sheep, it does more damage to the church than, than it would be to, to be patiently tending the sheep that you have. Absolutely. And I want you to see the warning here, if you would. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Um, I want us to read what John MacArthur says about this. Satan's condemnation was due to pride over his position. It resulted in his fall from honor and authority. The same kind of fall and judgment could easily happen to a new and weak believer put in a position of spiritual leadership. Now, I believe you can wait too long. All right? I believe that uh, an old guard in a church can say, well, we don't want new people. We don't want new uh, helpers. We don't want new leaders. We like the way things are going. And so we're going to keep it this way. But on the other hand, I've seen so many times someone get saved, someone get in fire for God. And we were leading the youth like three months after we rededicated our life to the Lord. Probably wasn't the right idea. That wasn't here, by the way. Wasn't here. But how many times? Oh man, you got saved yesterday. We'd love for you to teach the youth because no one wants to work with the youth. That's how we think. And so I just want to caution you tonight to be a part of the church that you belong to. To get involved. To hold people accountable. Not to turn a blind eye. That doesn't mean that we should be judgmental and critical of people and, and always looking for their faults. But we should understand something that the testimony of the church and the testimony of those who God has called to lead and guide the church should be above reproach. And that is so important. And uh, I'll just throw this out there for my personal opinion. I believe that there are sins on this list that can disqualify a pastor from ministry. I don't believe that everyone who's called, says they're called, wants to get behind a pulpit should be behind one. You say, Jake, that sounds very cruel. That sounds very judgmental. It's not meant that way. All right? Because I have, in many times in my life, thought, God, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. All right? But I think that if you take serious the role that God has given you, fathers as the spiritual leaders of your home, mothers as the, the wife and leader of your children, that it should matter to you. That role that God has given you should matter because no one else is going to fill it if God has called you to it. I am the father to Kylie, Andrea, Jayla, Tinley, Leslie, and Lydia. I got those last two out of order. Sorry about that. Got them out of order. That's not a good thing to do. Um, it's my job to be their father. It's my responsibility. As long as God leaves me here, it's my responsibility to be the under-shepherd of this congregation. It's no one else's. right? I can't blame it on someone else. I can't pawn it off on someone else. Definitely, I would like to some days. And so tonight, I just really want you to read through these. I want you to take them home and study them and recognize something. That talent, and this is what I want to leave you with, and we'll, talent is not an indication of God's call on someone's life. Talent is not the sole indication of God's call on someone's life. John Maxwell is a wonderful speaker, wonderful leadership leader, right? He was a pastor, says he shouldn't be a pastor anymore. I don't believe that God takes you from the highest calling and demotes you, okay? 
Love Governor Huckabee, but I think he got it wrong when he got out of the pastor to be a governor. All right? Uh, but I want you to hear that tonight. Because so many times it's all about talent. We like his sermons. We like his hospital visiting. We like this. But I really want you to search the scriptures and say this is what matters. The character and integrity of a person is what matters.